Welcome to this WLRN interview segment with British cartoonist Stella Parrott. Stella is a cartoonist and book illustrator from Bristol, England. For 40 years, she quietly illustrated self-publishing authors' books and small magazines, held her own one-woman shows, and gave occasional talks on cartooning. Her cancellation in February 2020 by the communist newspaper The Morning Star propelled her into the gender-critical world. Her cartoon, Endgame, was vilified on Twitter, her reputation trashed, and the paper was threatened with defunding. In July, WLRN published her Right to Reply that you can see under our Guest Contributors tab on our WLRN WordPress site. Stella is now using her new freedom from conformity to support other campaigners and speak out herself. She has published her own cartoon review of the year 2020 with plenty of GC content and reviews from Jennifer Billick and Joe Bartosh. Jennifer Billick is an artist and environmental activist and cutting edge feminist who runs the 11thHourBlog.com. And she says about Stella, if our cartoonists go down with our journalists, both under threat, we will have no means to fight. Stella's work goes where people are terrified to tread, providing levity while making us laugh out loud. I raise my glass. And Joe Bartosh, writer, feminist campaigner, and recovering Marxist, who is director of clickoff.org, says this about Stella's work. Brave and brilliant, this cartoon collection is satire at its finest. No one is spared from Parrot's insightful take on politics and power. Recommended antidote to the woke world of isms and perpetual offense. So, with no further ado, please enjoy my interview with political cartoonist from the UK, Stella Parrott, recorded on December 15th, 2020. Okay, so welcome to WLRN. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Stella. Thank you for having me. Um, I've got to show you my turf badge. I don't know if you might be able to see that. Maybe you can zoom in when, when it's uh, edited. Um, it says truth exposing radical feminists. Oh, turf. <laughs> turf, yeah. <laughs> My turf badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that acronym has been switched up so many times by us, you know, to, to say something else. Like, I've heard it be um, totally excellent radical feminist before, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's you. Um, that's me. That's, yep. that's right. I thought I would wear it just for my interview with WLRN. Turf <laughs> Radio. Cool. That's it. So tell us about yourself and um, your career as a political cartoonist. What got you interested in political cartooning? Well, um, fell into it by accident, really, uh, this all, because I've been a book illustrator most of my life. So I've been a, an artist and an illustrator for 40 odd years. Um, I've always done cartoons for things like people's birthday cards and all kinds of things like that, posters, advertising for people. But I hadn't done political cartooning until I got involved with the Morning Star in Britain, uh, which was in 2015. Um, and I rapidly became 
well, they called me their star cartoonist in print. Um, I was with them probably every week. They, they printed another of my cartoons. So over the five years, I must have sent them hundreds of cartoons. And they're a very left-wing paper. They're actually, um, they are actually the mouthpiece of the Communist Party in Britain. They are not a regular newspaper. They are an actual, um, if you like, uh, they are, they, all their editorials are the actual, um, whenever the Communist Party has got something to say, it goes in the editorial of the Morning Star. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're not what you'd call a regular newspaper. Um, and they have, a, they have a circulation quite small, about 20,000. And I was quite happy with them, you know, just happily drawing the sort of subjects they like you to draw. Is anti-monarchy, having a go at the police, having a go at austerity, the gig economy, all, all the subjects that they write about, you know? Typical left wing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And I, I've got a background in left wing activism anyway. Uh -huh. um, I was very involved in, in uh, my local area with um, the Liberals going back years and years and years. Uh, yeah. And I've stood, as, I've stood as a local candidate myself more than once. And, you know, yeah. I think that's a really interesting point to bring out because often uh, when we are accused of hateful bigotry, we're also accused of aligning ourselves with the right wing and, you know, religious um, fundamentalist Christians. And I have never met, well, I guess I've met some radical feminists who've come from that background, but they reject it, you know, but more mm. than not, a, a lot of radical feminist activists, it seems like, come from a leftist activism background. So it's really important to point that out. Well, I, I don't want to um, speak against religious people here because I, like a lot of people, I was brought up going to Sunday school uh, in the Church of England and um, I've got a lot of sympathy. I mean, I was actually told at school in religious education that Jesus was the first communist. Mm. That's how we were taught about Jesus, you know. He threw the moneylenders out of the temple, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, religion has got a lot to say about the poor and the oppressed. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I would not want to put anybody down because they came from a religious background. Sure. And look at the Jews and the Muslims, they make a big thing of philanthropy and, you know, give it, giving to the poor and, and in the community. So religion is important for a lot of people. And, um, but yes, we're always accused of taking money from right-wing groups and so on, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know who these people are. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd hold my hat out to them. You know, can, can some of it come my way, please? You know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So um, you published a cartoon in the Morning Star. I did. A little over a year ago, was that? Or was it within, it was last year, right? I mean, it was this year in 2020. It, it was called Endgame. And yeah, you, you might put a stick behind my head here. Uh-huh. Oh, let me lean that way. There, there it is. And um, it, it's, uh, yes, this is the cartoon that caused a load of trouble. Because it's reversed here. I'm not sure which side it's on. Yeah, it's on that side behind me. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people have seen it now because it was, it was just people on Twitter. Just, um, there was just tons of abuse on Twitter directed at me and the newspaper because of this cartoon. Can you... Um, for our listeners that might not be able to see it right now, what, what was it about the cartoon that was 
so controversial and, and got it targeted? Well, it, it was a specific subject I, I was doing a cartoon about. It was the planned reforms of, of the, the GRA Act in, in Britain, which is the Gender Recognition Act 2004. Um, for about three or four years, trans activists had been campaigning to get this reform to make it a lot easier uh, for them to get their certificates to say they, they had transitioned, you see. And women's groups were very obviously against this and it was spoken about in parliament. There was meetings all over the place. Um, I hadn't really been taking any notice because I was concentrating on the things the Morning Star always wrote about. <laughs> the, the very like nuts and bolts, union activity, um, that sort of thing, you see. And all this was going on, it was in the newspapers occasionally. And all of a sudden, I, I, one week it became a really hot topic. Everybody was talking about it. It was in the news. So I drew a cartoon about it because that's what I did. I, I saw hot topics in the news and do cartoons about them. You know, that was it. That was what I did as a cartoonist. Um, and it was, um, and so this was about women's safe spaces and the possibility of, um, if they make it that much easier for men to declare themselves women, the possibility of predatory males coming into women's spaces, which we, we all know there's lots of evidence for. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's a very real fear for women and girls, mothers with teenage children, for example. And I think I put a lot of emotion into the cartoon. Um, emotion I, I felt when I was a teenager, um, male bullying, sexist bullying. And I, I think people reacted to the emotion that was in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So it shows, um, it shows a crocodile <laughs> um, or an alligator um, coming into a little pond and there's some little newts with their heads sticking out of the pond. So it's, it's a literal woman's space, space, a women's swimming, swimming session, which the, what, there are women-only swimming sessions at, at um, youth cent- um, you know, sports centres and things. You probably have, have them there as well. Um, especially for pregnant women, you often get the women, women's only swimming session. Um, so it's a literal safe space. And the newts are saying, you can't come in here, it's our safe space. And he's saying, don't worry, your pretty little heads, I'm transitioning as a newt. So it's a very simple cartoon, very basic, about that one issue, that one possibility. And um, yeah, it, it created an absolute furor um, over here. Um, the trade unions uh, threaten the Morning Star with closure because the Morning Star relies on trade union money. Um, sad to say, a women's group, Women's Place UK, which is very highly thought of, joined in and thought, yeah, this is great, the Morning Star. So they, they, had, they were forced to cancel me and to apologize, make a public apology for publishing the cartoon. Um, <laughs> Which, looking back on it now, I know for a fact that there are, the editor and the journalists are quite ashamed, really, that they had to succumb to that. But they had no choice. They were threatened with closure. And so I don't blame them. And, and, and in my book that I've uh, just published, I actually say in the thank you page, um, I've named them at the top of the page, and I've said, thank you, and I know it wasn't your fault. Because I know it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the cartoon, it, a lot of people are calling it the crocodile cartoon. Its, it's real name is Endgame. Because I, I told the Morning Star, I consider this whole situation to be the endgame for feminism. 
if women don't win this battle, feminism is practically over. And Megan Murphy has made that very clear. Um, she, she said on her video that the trans cult or the trans ideology is the most successful backlash against feminism in modern times. You know, we are, we are living through historical times here. Now, I didn't, I didn't even know all this when I drew the cartoon. To me, it was like, right, cartoon, bang it off. Let's get thinking about next week's cartoon. You see, once, it had got, once it's gone to them, it's gone to them. And I didn't even know whether they were going to use it or not. And I didn't know what had happened. I don't even read the paper myself every day. <laughs> you know, and somebody came, a union colleague came up to me at work and said, oh, you're a cartoon of yours has caused a massive stink at the Morning Star. I knew nothing about it. Wow. They didn't tell me they were cancelling me. I had no communication from them at all. And I had to find out by going on the internet and people started contacting me and saying, oh, Stella, your name's all over the internet. Wow. Yeah, because I'm not on Twitter or anything like that, you see. So... And the worst thing, the worst thing about it was, Tristle, the worst thing about it was that it impacted friends of mine and colleagues of mine who were on Twitter because if they were associated with me, people started abusing them as well. Yeah. So it wasn't just directed at me in the newspaper, it was anybody who was associated. Yeah, sounds like leftist McCarthyism, sometimes I've heard it called, trans activism, this type of cancel culture uh, associated with trans activism. You're guilty and then guilty by association as well. It's yeah. Yeah. It's so my, my, absolute, yeah. it's so absolute yeah. way that yeah. it cancels. Now, um, what exactly happened? You lost your job entirely? Like you, you no longer? But, yes, I don't have, I, they, they are not allowed to, to, to touch me with a barge pole. Although they have talked to me privately <laughs> and they've apologized privately. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making that public now I'm saying this, but yeah, I don't think it's much of a secret that the um, staff at the paper was split down the middle over it. Um, you know, that's not a secret really. Uh, um, my, my, my biggest problem with it was that it, it could have dragged my, my union colleagues at work into it because my union threatened to throw me out because of this scandal. The, the actual national union, their LGBT champion uh, agitated to have me thrown out and my my local union branch offered to uh, defend me and I said no I said no because I don't want you you people being dragged into it because they they would have been attacked you see as well if they were on social media they would have been attacked as well so, so it forced you union membership yeah I had to I had to resign the union wow. rather rather than drag drag my colleagues into it you see yeah. And, and yeah, and and also I, I was planning to retire early anyway because I'm a carer for my husband, um, and and so all this happened at a very traumatic time for us. Yeah, um, because I'm his carer, and I was I was planning to to reduce my hours at work anyway, and and it this forced me to retire early anyway. Hmm. Um, so it was quite a traumatic time, and I didn't have anybody. I wasn't on social media. I didn't have any support at all. Uh, you know, I had to 
look around for support. Mm-hmm. And I found a, a thing that's been set up, newly set up in Britain called the Free Speech Union, oh. uh, which sticks up for people who are in this sort of situation. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Newly formed group? Yes, they formed, they, end of last year, they, they formed, yeah. In part in response to what's... The, the can- yeah, the cancel culture, yeah. Interesting. Are there other, I mean, I guess your book deals with other situations besides gender critical people being canceled. Um, It's it's a widespread problem in our society, it seems like, that's really um, been exaggerated because of social media and how easy it is to ostracize somebody these days, you know? Well, absolutely. There's a, a short list of subjects that you, a lot of people in you know social media cannot touch with about you you know you can't what can you you can't talk about islamism you can't talk about racism there's lots of things you can't talk talk about isn't there where is it in society that we actually have real freedom of expression and real discussions and dialogue and discourse where is that happening currently in our society this global world with all this social media well, you've got me. I mean, I've joined Spinster, and Spinster, I find... Spinster! Yeah, Spinster, yeah, let's give a big shout-out to Spinster. It, it, to me, that feels like a safe space, and in the course of the year, I've had massive support on Spinster. Um, it's great. I've made friends through it. I've got friends in America that I, I didn't even know existed in the world, people I'd never heard of before, you know? And I've got to know people like Jennifer Billick, uh... Joe Bartosz, are these, you probably know these names. You, and, and that you're engaged in productive and high level conversation and dialogue with them. It's not like, you know, we all agree on everything all the time, but we you know. agree that there needs to be a safe space, a public square where things can be discussed openly. Yeah, the other, the other person in Britain who's, um, I, I would like to, uh, big up really is, is uh, people called Posey Parker, real name Kelly J. Keane, who you might have heard of as well. And I've been to a couple of her events and hope to go to more when all our lockdowns and things are finished. Uh, you know, because, well, that, to me, that is very, very important activism. You know, she said more than once, we, we're trying to take back the public square. Yeah. We, we've, been, we've been locked out of the public square and, and we need to get back into it. Totally. And, and how sexist, right? I mean, and that gets to something later on in the interview. I wanted to read that Renee Garlick quote and have you respond to it. But it's like, this is happening to women. Women are being forced out of the public square and back into the home, basically, which is such a regressive politics, you know? Well, this is it. I think we're, I think we're doing better at fighting back against it here in the UK. Than, than perhaps Canada and America. I, I think you're a bit behind us on this, to be honest. Um, whether that's because I, I've got my own theory about why that is. <laughs> I think it's because we haven't been invaded for over a thousand years, you know, and, and we've got this Bolshevik attitude, uh, you, know, you know, nobody's going to come and uh, tell us what to do. You know, I think the Brits have got that attitude. And, and we know what, um, and uh, a lot of our politicians, especially male politicians, they've been to these public schools where they experience a lot of bullying as children, as teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, you know, 
they they do recognize what bullying is mm -hmm. perhaps more than in other parts of the world uh because of that background and and that's why we've been able to uh, i think i mean the, the uk government has doubled down on the equality act and the protection for women and we've just had this uh, amazing court case the tavistock case which yes. you guys have heard of you know and we've and we've had some wins in the scottish parliament where people are trying to push through hate laws and so on so women are really really active on this issue here mm -hmm. whereas when i look on spinster and i see the american women talking it's like they're afraid to speak out in their normal lives right i would have to agree with you it's the trans activists over here are brutal I don't know if you saw footage from the talk at the public library in Seattle in February, but whoa, those guys are really aggressive, you know? Yes, that's right. And yeah, it's a whole different world over here. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we, I, I am inspired by um, British feminism and feminist activism, but, um, I also understand that the atmosphere is really different over here and it's harder for us in many ways to get organized. Um, but thank you for being a, a model for the for other activists across the world because every country it seems like is dealing with these gender identity laws and and the culture of gender identity and genderism has just spread like a plague across the world, you know, and so we, we need to swap stories and learn from one another. I mean, the speaker's corner history in, um, in the UK is such a wonderful example of, of, of a society, a country, being able to create that space for people to have those heated debates and conversations about the politics of the day. That yes. We don't have anything like that over here, really. So. Um, well when all these restrictions are over that's what you need to start doing isn't it you know just creating them in your i think we'll do it in the public libraries over here i think that's going to be yeah the um yeah but that that's going to be post covid obviously um <laughs> well my, my obviously my field thistle is political cartooning and art and there aren't many women political cartoonists around and, and even the male cartoonists are afraid to touch a lot of these subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, I have just got my hands on the anthology, which is called Britain's Best Political Cartoons 2020. I was going to be in it, but Random House lawyers refused the editor permission to get me in it because of the controversy. And this is Random House again, where they had a, you know, they were all crying because they didn't want to be involved in some book, you know. <laughs> and so, so that was another cancellation I had this year. Um, uh, and uh, oh, I'll tell you another cancellation I had, um, LGB Alliance, who I'm a big fan of, I'm a big supporter. They could not promote my book on their website because they're applying for uh, charity status and, they, and I'm too controversial. And if they have me involved, they said, look, we really want to, but we can't because of the controversy around me and my cartoons. So I'm too controversial for the LGB Alliance look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to that, actually. It's, I mean. And this is cartoons. We're talking about cartoons, which are, they are a, a, a means of getting a message across mm -hmm. to people who may not speak English very well, 
made, if you live in a, a different country and you don't speak the language, but you might understand a cartoon that's in the, in the newspaper. That's where cartoons have got a lot of power. Mm-hmm. You see, this sort of, and that's what I think a lot of people are frightened of cartoons. They don't like them. The New York Times actually in 2019 does not uh, print any political cartoons in its international editions and, and said they never would again after some controversy about uh, an anti-Semite cartoon, which wasn't even anti-Semitic, wasn't even done by one of their own cartoonists. Hmm. And I I actually address that in my book. I've got a whole section in the book called um, The Cancelled Cartoonists Club, where I talk about cartoonists from other countries and what happened to them. So the art of political cartooning itself is somewhat under attack because it, it is and it's so is um so is satire in general so so is so are comedians in general uh you know if they step out of line or, or they don't they don't toe the left leftist line well they don't get hired you know it's very difficult for anybody in the field of comedy or satire mm-hmm. you are listening to wlrn So talk about your book a little bit. Um, what it, it, It's called 2020, the year we were all canceled. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and you, you highlight your case, but you also highlight other cases. How, can you talk about some of those cases that you highlight and how you chose to highlight them? Yeah, um, one that came along in August, so it was a bit late, but I managed to squeeze it into my book, was Emad Hajaj, who's in Jordan. And he has still got a a prison sentence hanging over his head because he doesn't know if they're going to pursue it or not. He was arrested and thrown in jail. And it was only because of concerted international effort, uh, protest to to, to Jordan, um, that he was released again. Uh, But he could get a two-year sentence purely for publishing a cartoon. It wasn't even in the newspaper. It was on his own social media, his own Facebook. And... All it was doing was satirizing the peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Uh, That was what it was about. And Jordan is an ally of the United Arab Emirates. So the the charge that they arrested him on was um, offending a friendly country. That was it. That was the charge. Hmm. Now, obviously, it's it's a militaristic, uh, it's a kingdom, so it's a a military um, dictatorship practically. Um, we'd like to think that sort of thing doesn't happen here, but look at the women who were arrested in Leeds when Posey Parker went up there, the group of women, to talk, uh, have a little protest in Leeds about the managed prostitution area. The police quickly closed that down and arrested them. So we're not actually far away from what goes on in other countries. Mm. We'd like to think we are, but, you know, we're, we're, it's starting here already. Yeah. Uh, no, obviously, I haven't been thrown in jail for my cartoons, but I have been, you know, had masses of um, abuse on social media. Luckily, it didn't affect me because I wasn't on Twitter, so I didn't see it. But but friends of mine did see it and it upset them, you know. And um, I had people who are professionally associated with me because I'm a book illustrator. I had they were attacked by Twitter mobs as well. Hmm. Um, so. And I know that happens 
Has it calmed down recently? Are things getting better for you? I, I am not. Well, this, I'm not. I'm, det- I'm not going to keep my head down. I'm afraid now that I've published a book and I've been on social media and I've, I feel it's as an older woman, I'm 60. I feel that I have got a duty really at my age and after what I've been through, because I'm, I'm a domestic violence survivor as well. You know, I, I've been through a lot like we all have. And, and I feel that the older we are, we should have more freedom to stand and speak up, you know, and, and to say to younger people, Look, you know, what you're going through, we all went through. We all went through it. It's not just you. You're not alone. You, what's happening to you as a teenager, it happened to all of us. We all lived through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and this ideology today, that, that if you feel uncomfortable in your own body, that the, only, the way to deal with it is to chop bits off it. Come on. Come on. I mean, we, we, had, we lived through all that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was non-conforming as a child and a teenager. I, I, um, and this was part of my motivation for doing the original cartoon. Um, I felt very strongly on the subject. Once I started reading a little bit about it, I felt very strongly because I felt like this. I felt like this as a child and a teenager as well. I, um, and I told the Morning Star, but they didn't print my explanation of the cartoon, uh, which is a shame. You know, but I, I'm determined to talk about it now because it is my right. It's my, re- my right to reply to, 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 to talk about this. And it is a difficult thing to talk about. It, it is. Um, but I see a lot of young women on, on YouTube, uh, you know, who have these detransitioners and, and they've been, what they've been coerced into and, and how much they regret it a few years later. And if only somebody could have sat down and talked to them when they were sort of 12, 13, when they had their first period, you know, and, and they started finding it so difficult socially. If only people could have sat down and talked to them then. The right, said, Look. obviously, because yeah. You know, yeah. there's a, the trans cult is a real thing and, and they will speak the, the words the youth need to hear to believe that they're born in the wrong body and need yeah. all these, you know. And, and the thing is, this, this ha- when I was growing up, was way before the internet, was before mobile phones. I didn't have anybody telling me this. I, I believed when I, before the age of about 11, that I was a boy. I did believe it. My parents had a lot to do with it. My father used to take me and my brother to the same barbers, have, have short back and sides, both of us. Um, I was just, in boys' clothes all the way through primary school. Um, and that was just all accepted. Uh, my, my father used to take me to sort of football instead of my brother because my brother, he thought my brother was a sissy, you know? <laughs> and so he would take me instead. But you as, did, if I, you as if I was a boy. Literally a boy. You did not think you were literally a boy. I did. I believed I was going to grow up and join the army and be six foot tall and have a beard. I believed it, yeah. I really believed it. And that was long before the internet. Now, um, the only kind of media I had that might have given me these ideas was American comics. I read lots of American comics because I, being an artist, you know, I obviously had a massive interest in comics. Um, it could be, it could be that, that that influenced me, but I really did believe it. And it was, and I wasn't told about periods or anything. 
uh, a lot of pe- lot of parents of my parents' generation didn't tell their kids, didn't tell them, you know. And then when it happens, such a shock, and you think you're, and the idea that this is going to happen every month for the rest of your life, you just don't want to even, you want to blot it out of your mind. Mm-hmm. And we all went through this. We all went through this. Mm-hmm. And and long before there was trans ideology around, um, there were ways of dealing with this. And I mean, I managed to persuade my mother to get the doctor to, to put me on the pill at the age of like 15, 14, 15, on the grounds that my, my periods were very uncomfortable. Um, and that's it. That stops your periods, reduces your estrogen. You don't have to think about it anymore. And so this was done before all these new drugs and things come in, but done in a different way, you know? Yeah, I think there's always been a a societal disgust for the female form. Um, Not always. In patriarchal Mm. society, we are taught to fear and not really like the female form and to, to view it as being closer to the earth and all that's dirty as opposed to you know the enlightened mind but as you don't know about all that when you're a teenager but but as a teen as a teenager you just feel you feel it but periods are actually very disabling for young girls they're very disabling there's all kinds of things you can't do for one week a month you might feel you can't take part in sports or you can't go to a dance or you can't mix with your friends though I think that's socialized I, I don't think the period is actually I mean it depends on the on the body right on the on the girl um, some girls get incredible cramps but there there are herbs that you can take there's foods um, different ways that you that those problems could be mitigated if we lived in a woman loving society I, I I just yes. kind of believe that our bodies, that there's something wrong with the female body because, you know, we get period cramps or something. I, you're I, quite right. Yes, you're, you're right, of course. Um, but obviously, I was that age at the beginning of the 70s. My parents knew nothing. I mean, they were completely ignorant about anything, really. Uh, if all this trans ideology had been around, they might have they might have looked at that and said, yeah. Well, maybe this will maybe this will help her. You see. Oh, and that that's yeah. happening on a massive scale right now. It is. It is because otherwise they're looking at you and thinking, well, how? Why is it? Why have I got this teenager who's so rebellious and who, who I can't talk to and who, is just like, you know, opposed to everything? Why? And they don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so that affected me as I grew older and I went into a man's world. I was in the construction industry for 20 years. I, I mixed much easier with men than I did with women. I made a vow at about the age of 10 never to have children. I never have had children. So I deliberately sought out boyfriends who didn't want children, you know, and unfortunately that, that led to a few abusive relationships. Um, hmm. That's one of the, the dangers of, you know, because you end up with the the men who no other woman has managed to catch, if you know what I mean, you, you end up with the misfits, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my, my gender nonconformity has affected my whole life. It's affected my whole life. From, from the jobs I went into to the people I mixed with, 
to how I behaved. For example, I was an alcoholic for many, many years because you feel when you mix with men a lot that you feel you have to match them in drinking. So all these things are a result of being gender nonconformist. Mm-hmm. And people don't realise what a long-term effect it, it has. Right. And I was always mistaken for a man as a teenager. Obviously, I'm only five foot nothing, so it's a bit ridiculous. But purely because you wear male, men's clothes, people think, you know, at first, and it might mistake you for a man or a boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not anymore. I mean, now, I'm, now I say I'm just a little old lady in a baseball cap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I didn't want to live when I was a child. I, I, I thought of suicide all the time, you know. I mean, what I actually wanted was to be put to sleep and wake up when I was 50. Because I knew that about the age of 50 was when the menopause would come. And it was long past time when anybody would think you might have children. And so I, I thought, well, wouldn't that be great, you know? And that was a kind of fantasy I had. Well, going through your childhood and your teenage years with, with ideas like that in your head, it's not good, is it? No. And, and I was a target for bullies at school, and um, that meant I dropped out of school. So I didn't stay in, I didn't have any further education. So you see how it affected my entire life, you know? Having said that, I don't want to be so negative about it. It helps, you know, adversity, you know, adversity is one of, it, it helps you, it incre- with, makes you more creative, probably makes you um, more, um, you know, you have more maybe I- ideas about, well, you, you're, you're, you're I'm, I'm trying to think of, sorry, I'm struggling, you, you might have to edit this bit out. <laughs> uh, it may, it makes you more open to different ideas, different ways of life, the types of people you mix with. Um, you, nobody, nobody is going to sail through life with no, no problems, n- nothing, are they? And so in, instead of sort of um, lying down under it all and, and saying, no, that's it, I'm going to kill myself, which lots of teenagers think like that, you, you have to really think, well, I used to think like that all the time. And then another side of my brain would say, but if you kill yourself, all these bullies have won, haven't they? Because that's what all the bullies want. And that was the thing that kept me going. I thought, no, I shouldn't actually. I should try and find something to do or some way of life that where they can't get at me and, you know, and and doesn't doesn't work this or you still fall in with bad people when you get older, you know. Mm. Oh, glad though that you stuck around because your cartoon—you <laughs> put a, a lot of your cartoons into the the book um, coming. Yeah. Where where can people find that book? Well, it's um it's available online through most of the big retailers, so Amazon, Barnes and Noble in America, uh, Waterstones and uh, Blackwells in Britain. Yeah. They only need to type the title into the search at the top and it should come up. The year we were all cancelled. Yes. And what's your, what is, what is a highlight in that book? Something that is your favorite part of the book that you'd like to share with us? I, um, well, I, I, I cover all the subjects that have been, um, that we've all been talking about this year. 
you know, JK Rowling. And um, I think, I don't know, I hope you'll be able to see this, this page here, which says, it says women a globally oppressed class. And all it is, is a collection of um, news clips. And uh, that's, I'm very proud of because, we, you know, this is a book in the public domain for the general public. It's not, it's not just for like women feminists. So I wanted to put things in there that I probably wouldn't be allowed to put, you know, I've already been, you know, Random House wouldn't allow me in the, the an, annual anthology. So I want, I thought, no, I'll, I'll publish my own book then, you know, which <laughs> yeah. so far, so far, the transact—it's flew, flew under the radar. They haven't noticed it yet, and um, <laughs> feminists have been ordering it. I think. And the holidays are upon us. It sounds like it could be a, a great holiday gift for the turf in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hope so. I say for the snowflake in your life, <laughs> because it might just the, the cartoons might just make somebody stop and think. Oh yeah, the absurdity of this mm -hmm. might actually might actually get through to somebody because it's in cartoon form. So, so what I, I think I heard you say one of the purposes of the book was to so that people who are like us don't feel so alone. But then another yeah. purpose of the book is to reach out to people and and peek them, have them see that this is an issue in our society. Right? Well, my ideal, my ideal scenario for the book is for people to be looking at it after eating the Christmas pudding and it actually spark some discussions. Oh, what do you think the cartoonist meant by this? Because I have uh, in the past done little talks. I've been up to the local university and also in my workplace, I've done little talks about cartooning and, the, and what is offensiveness. And what I used to do was have some cartoons numbered one to 10 on the wall. People could go around and make, make their own note about did they find that offensive or not? And then, and then we would talk about it, you know. Um, and of course, in France, this happened to a teacher. He was talking about this in class, and what happened? He got beheaded in the street outside the school, didn't he? A couple of months ago. And um, so it goes to show how 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 much cartoons, you know, cartoons have a real effect in the world. Yeah, it's a powerful medium for sure. It is. It is. So I wanted to get back to uh, discussing the idea of free speech a little bit and how there's, for me at least, there's like some gray area with free speech and women and mm. rights. Um, I'm gonna read Renee Gerlich's quote to you and then have you respond. She's a New Zealand radical feminist and- yes. um, she writes, when women are bullied and no platformed for saying that women are female and that it matters, what is taking place is not an attack on free speech. It's an attack on women. When women are silenced and trashed for making actually very plain statements, it does not reflect a growing intolerance for diverse opinions. Believing that biological sex is real is hardly a new and quirky idea. It reflects rising misogyny. Speech is not under attack. Women are under attack. Speech is not being harassed and threatened. 
Women are being harassed and threatened. Speech is not an oppressed entity. Women are an oppressed sex. And we're oppressed, frank, we are oppressed, frankly, by men who have far, far more bollocks to spout about us these days than I, can, than I care to spend a moment of my life defending in the name of their fake liberal values. <laughs> so, so response <laughs> as an advocate for free speech, but yet at the same time, you can see her point, right? Yeah, I can obviously, she's talking specifically really about this issue we're so involved with, where women cannot open their mouths about um, the trans ideology without somebody attacking them. Um, but no, I, there are lots of other issues uh, as well. Um, there are other issues, um, racism, um, Islamophobia, they are, there are other issues that are involved in free speech, which people also get attacked over. And so, so yeah, she's talking about a specific area of free speech. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, by saying that I support free speech, I'm not saying everybody should be able to say, to, I mean, all these death threats and things people get on Twitter, that's not free speech. That is criminal activity. Okay, well, good. I mean, yeah, there needs to be a distinction made because pornography, really, like violent porn, I consider that hate speech, not free speech, you know, but exactly, yeah. And porn Pornhub has just been forced. Pornhub has just distinct yeah. because they say what we're saying is hate speech. They say us calling men male mm. is is hate speech. And so who gets to decide what's hate speech? Well and at the moment it seems to be the at the moment it seems to be these um tech tech giants, doesn't it? And the people who run them. Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and all of these, you know, it seems to be they, they that decide at the moment because the politicians seem to have bailed out in, a, in many countries. Mm. They seem to have bailed out of this issue. They seem to be just um, taking the path of least resistance. And, um, I, you know, as I said, we are luckier in the UK that we've got some very strong female politicians. I must, must mention Baroness Emma Nicholson, who I've also um, had had chats with and uh you know people like her and of course jk rowling um has she really lit a torch for this she lit a torch and women have responded to it all over the world um yeah uh defendfeminist.net i have seen i have seen um other things they've done and new zealand and australia they're very they've got lots going on there that you know it, it's almost like um, come on, you know, <laughs> uh, we've got we've, the Anglosphere, we've got a, women all over the Anglosphere, we've got to pull together, we've got to support one another in these, in these countries, we've got to, because we need to fight for women in countries where they're under oppression, real oppression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, trans activists, I haven't seen a single trans activist say, I'm campaigning against FGM. No, I haven't seen a single one. I don't know if you have, but I haven't. I haven't. No. No, in fact, and I, I hesitate to bring it up because I don't have it right in front of me, but I recall that there were some trans activists that were protesting a bill that was going to um, protect girls from FGM. Um, 
Yeah, and they were opposed to it because um, it didn't uh, allow for bodily autonomy and making choices about what you do to your body or whatever. Well, so. you see, why should what is essentially a religion have an exemption under criminal law? FGM is actually illegal in Britain. So any doctor who actually performed that sort of surgery on a young girl or a young woman is breaking the law technically. So of course trans activists are gonna <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna support FGM, aren't they? They're not gonna be against it, are they? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't have I don't have the 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 report right in front of me, but I do recall that coming across my desk reading about some trans activists opposing <laughs> was gonna protect girls and women from FGM. So anyway, um, what yes. a, gruesome what a gruesome society we've become recently um <laughs> is there anything you'd else that you'd like to say to our our wlrn listeners who are largely lesbians and radical feminists and largely american lesbian well i would like to say don't lose hope <laughs> don't lose hope because you know we, we are we're campaigning here in the uk but we're campaigning for you guys as well because your lawmakers will look at the legislation that, that we're passing here and, and the protections for women that, that we're making sure, you know, are still in place here. And they will be looking at it because British law was exported all over the world. You know, it, British law is actually the foundation of, of the, uh, you know, the American Republic and also Australia and all these other countries, British law was exported everywhere. So your lawmakers will be looking to what happens here and hopefully, they, they will realize, I mean, we've got a major political party in this country, the Labour Party, that went down the rabbit hole of, of self, um, you know, identitarian politics, identitarian politics and, and trans ideology. And look what happened to them. They haven't won a general election for what, the last five or six general elections. <laughs> they, they are just falling apart because the ordinary people, the ordinary voters know that this is all, well, it's, it's, it's an insult to everybody's intelligence, this one, isn't it? It is. It's nonsense. It's harmful nonsense. Yes, yeah. I love, I, I, I like that description, an insult to everyone's intelligence, for sure. It is. And, and you can't lump all, like, working class voters together and say, oh, they're so thick, they don't understand. With women, parents, they understand this issue only too well. They can see the harm. They can see the nonsense that's being told to their children in school. Mm -hmm. Well, to the, I, I, yeah. to the turning tide, may it be global. And uh, yeah, I think we have to rely on that, Thistle. We have to rely on the intelligence of the ordinary, ordinary voter, you know? Well, yes, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I definitely have had lively discussions about that, about can we trust... <laughs> the common ordinary, you know, voter. And I think with education and with open dialogue and discussion and true free speech that's about freedom of expression, yes, people can be educated and, and we can make, um, I think, I believe in democracy. I believe yeah. in democracy. Good, good. I, if you don't mind me saying so, that's awfully elitist, that point of view, isn't it? Because look at me, I didn't go to university or anything like that. I didn't go, you know, people would look at me and say I was um, 
<laughs> I didn't mean I know, I, academic education. I meant popular mm -hmm. education. I mean having spaces like Spinster where we can have yeah. dialogue and real discussion with ourselves amongst ourselves and That's right. panel discussions in alternative media, um, our own experts. But no, I, I think you don't have to go to school and get a piece of paper to be educated. You, you can, um, you know, we can educate each other. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to stick up for women artists and especially in the political cartoon area. There's very few of us and there should be more, you know. Yeah, well, hopefully, um, you know, as our movement grows, we're going to find each other more and more and we're going to um, build a community of artists and into Well, you know, what would be really great this or would be somebody, some woman with, they would need a bit of money behind them, but a, a national newspaper that was women owned, women run and women centered. Because not everybody not everybody lives on 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 the internet you know vast numbers of ordinary people do not live on the internet um people forget that to have the internet at all you have to pay a monthly fee you know so it, it's it is out of reach of some people and also they they probably they might work too hard they might be holding down two or three jobs looking after children not everybody lives on the internet this is where power of the press this is where you need something like I, I that's just a dream i've got that some some rich woman might set up a national newspaper maybe jk rowling could say wouldn't that be wonderful <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> that would be wouldn't fantastic that, it would be it would be yeah <laughs> i'm a volunteer to be their cartoonist <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for granting WLRN with this interview today, Stella. Oh, it's been great. It's been really, really great, Tissel. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to my interview with political cartoonist Stella Parrott. What better gift for that snowflake in your life or the feminist than Ms. Parrott's collection of cartoons called 2020? the year we were all canceled. You can get your copy of her book by clicking on the links provided in the post where you found this interview. We hope you will consider supporting Stella's independent work as she is a kindred spirit in our feminist fight to let our light shine out in the darkness this season. Happy holidays to all of our WLRN listeners. See you next year for our show dedicated to the highlights of the global feminist movement in 2020. Joey Bright of Can I Get a Witness will be my guest on that show, so stay tuned. This is Thistle Pedersen signing off for now, wishing you and yours a bright and joyful holiday season.